0: Good morning and welcome. What a blessing it is to gather together on the Lord's Day among God's people that we might worship the Lord. Um, As you see in your announcement bulletins, we are planning to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. Um, If you are a visitor who has not met with the elders, we would ask that you abstain, um, but we'd certainly love to speak with you afterward about the reason for that. We're thankful for all of our guests and visitors who are with us uh, we pray that you would uh, would be blessed through your time in worship, um, and also we encourage you to stick around for some fellowship afterward. But beloved, this is a time that's not about us, right? It's not about um, what we enjoy, what we like, what we desire, but what God deserves and what He has commanded. And we can bring that worship that's pleasing to him only as he equips us to that end. So let's begin our time together by joining our hearts together in a moment of prayer, asking God to equip us and to bring us near to his throne. And then we'll conclude by praying together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for each one whom you have brought here this day. We pray that you would bless our hearts and minds, that we might be drawn near to you through your gracious work, through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would use us to bring glory and honor to you, and that all that is said and done here might be done by your power in a way that is pleasing unto you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. The Lord calls us to worship with these words from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Congregation of our Lord Jesus, from where does your help come? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Hear now his greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing praise together to the Lord from Trinity Psalter Hymnal 103, Selection A. We'll sing stanza one and then three, four, and five. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul reminds us that as a faithful minister of the gospel, he did not come to the city of Corinth or any of the cities where he ministered with a message of all is well, all is well. He didn't tell them that they needed a little help. They needed to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. They needed to just do better. He didn't come with worldly philosophy or arguments that would challenge the intellect or or happy words that would tickle men's ears. But instead, he came with the message of the cross, which is in the first place, a message of our depravity, a message of our absolute need. Because the message of the cross is a message that that's what we deserve. We deserve not only to be punished in the worst possible way by men, but no, we need to be cast off by God, accursed eternally. That's what we deserve. That's what the cross shows us But that's only half of it, because the other half is that Jesus took that for his people. And that if we trust in him, then there's nothing else for us to do, nothing else for us to pay. And so Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. to Greeks, or uh, I'm sorry, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then he humbles us, having reminded us of the message that saves us, the message of the cross, he says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He's talking about us. We are the weak and the foolish and the low and the despised. But God called out to us, with a message that was weak and foolish and low and despised, the message of the cross, so that it might be evident both from the nature of those who are called and the nature of the calling itself that the glory does not belong to men. The glory belongs to God. And because of Him, because of God, you are are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That is our calling. That we might trust for life and for death, both here and eternally in Christ, giving all the credit, all the glory, all the honor to God. So let us confess that that is our heart, that that is our faith, As we sing together, number 350, confessing together with the hymn that our hope is in Christ alone. Number 350. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And it's to assist us in giving him that kind of praise, that kind of thanksgiving, that God gave us his law. Saying to us in Deuteronomy 5, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Because that's what he did when he freed us from our sin, right? He brought us out of slavery to sin and Satan and death just as truly as Israel was brought out of Egypt. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet or not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. In short, as Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first and the great commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Only God can give us both the power and the desire to do that, showing our gratitude to him for what Christ has done. So we need to ask him for that help. In addition, as we come to the Lord in prayer, um, a few prayer concerns we're going to uh, mention In greater detail this evening, but um, there are a lot of people hurting in Turkey and Syria. They experienced two significant earthquakes last week. Um, Last count I saw was about 12,000 dead in Turkey and almost 3,000 in Syria. Uh, There are very few Christians in Turkey or Syria. Those who are there are seeking to provide whatever help they can, which is a powerful witness to the power and the mercy of Christ. We're going to be taking up our offering for uh, benevolence um, this evening, and it's going to go to that cause. So we'll talk about that more this evening, but please pray for the people of Turkey and Syria, and especially the the Christians who are ministering there. Um. Joby Lammers, we have um, remembered her periodically in our prayers for quite a while. On uh, well, last week she had her fiftieth round of chemotherapy for pancreatic cancer. Uh, please continue to keep Joby and uh, and Warren in your prayers. Um, Norm DeWeird fell and broke his hip yesterday. Um, was in when I when I spoke with Carol yesterday. Um, He was in quite a bit of pain. They had given him a a nerve block to help with that. And they were debating whether he would be able to withstand surgery. If so, they were going to do that today. So pray for wisdom concerning his treatment and for relief of pain and and just for comfort. Um, And then on a personal note, um, our family was blessed with our first grandchild on Friday. Sam and Andrea welcomed uh, little Asher Andrew. Andrew. Um, yes, uh, Friday afternoon, so that's why my wife is not here. Um, she had her bag already packed, so we, uh, we praise the Lord for his mercies there. Let's pray together. Father, your mercy and your grace abound exceedingly. When we think of our sin and our unworthiness, it amazes us that you would love even one of us. It is not as though we've simply gotten a bad break. That we've been influenced by the wrong people. Or have not been guided in the right way. We were from the very start rotten. Rebellious to our very core. And yet you, in the immensity of your love sent your Son to save us anyway, accomplished in him all that was necessary for our salvation, and then sent your Spirit to work faith in us, to demonstrate to us the need that we have to cause us to come to you. Every single aspect of our salvation is from your hand, and we stand amazed unable to fully comprehend the depth and the breadth of such love. And beyond that, you've given us a calling to show you gratitude in a way that frees us from those sins that once enslaved us, in a way that that removes from us those sins that, that dragged us down. Father, we praise you for that. And we pray that you would give us both the desire and the strength to devote our lives to showing you thanks. To devote our lives to putting off our sin and our rebellion and taking up obedience to your commands. Love that permeates our lives. Teach us to trust in you for all that we have and all that we need. And work all of the circumstances of our lives, we pray, in such a way as to equip us for life with you eternally. Father, we thank you that you are doing this and we see it in our lives. We see it in the hardships and the struggles. We see it in the joys and the triumphs. Every bit of it is is planned out and orchestrated by you to remind us that not we but you are on the throne and that you are working all things for the good of your people. Lord, continue to give us eyes to see that and hearts overflowing with gratitude. Lord, we lay before you all of the needs of your church. We pray especially for Norm that you would comfort and strengthen and encourage him that you would provide for him and Carol alike the comfort of of knowing that you are present and of, of granting them the wisdom and the grace that they need we pray Father that you would uh, likewise provide for others among us who are, are struggling who have had difficulties and trials we think of Marge as she continues recovering from her broken ribs and broken hip. We think of uh, our members who are undergoing chemotherapy and immunotherapy for cancer. We think of um, Jamie, who's been dealing with some side effects from chemo. We think of uh, Joel and Bruce and Dan and Bob. Lord, we ask for your care on each of them and others who are receiving treatment for, for various ailments. We think of Linda. As she is uh, looking forward to and preparing for surgery in in May, we pray that you would uh, enable her to be well prepared for that. We pray for Bryce with his continued therapy as he recovers from his injuries. We think of um, others who are dealing with long-term pain uh, that has come through the years. And those who wrestle with with struggles in their lives, husbands and wives who are uh, struggling with each other, those who are dealing with unbelief or doubt, those who are brought low by depression, Lord, we pray that you would lift us up at every point, providing exactly what we need, whether it is is relief from what ails us, or faith to strengthen us, or healing or circumstances to change. Lord, you know what we stand in need of. Above all, we need a deepening and growing of our faith, a repentance from our sin, and a a renewal of our relationship with you. We pray likewise for um, those of our loved ones who are in particular need. We think of Joby, Lord. We ask that you would continue to provide uh, strength and encouragement for her and for Warren. And we pray that you would give them comfort in even in this struggle against cancer. We pray for uh, Joe's uh, stepfather and his mother, for Gary and for Mary, uh, as Gary prepares for or awaits surgery, and as Mary has been in the hospital, we ask that you would uh, comfort and strengthen them, and provide the uh, not just the physical healing, but but the spiritual strength they need. We pray for uh, Jim and Di, as uh, as Jim deals with his chemotherapy and awaits a bone marrow transplant. We pray that you would uh, provide for them as well. We pray for Sherry's mom, Lucille, uh, that you would comfort and encourage her for Larry's son, Dan, as he recovers from his heart problems and and draws closer to you. And, And Lord, there are so many others. We pray that you would provide as only you are able and that you would allow us to see that it is your strength that has sustained us. Lord, I thank you for the blessing that you've given to our family with the birth of Asher. We pray that you would Uh, strengthen Sam and Andrea in raising him and and teaching him to know the Lord and Lord we pray for your people throughout the world as they gather to worship you equip them for the works of ministry that you are setting before us we pray especially for the Christians of Turkey and Syria and for the many residents of those countries that are grieving and hurting this day feeling the loss that has come through the destruction of the earthquakes that has flattened homes and flattened cities. Lord, we pray that you would use this tragedy to bring about the transformation of multitudes as they turn to you to find hope. And Lord, enable us to turn to you daily Resting in you for all our hope, both now and eternally. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we prepare to look together uh, to God's word, we're going to sing from Psalter Hymnal 97. Psalter Hymnal 97. Um, it, instead of the stanzas that are, are written there, uh, I'd like us to sing stanza one And then five and six. One and then five and six. invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the very end of 2nd Peter. We come to the end today of our series going through 1st and 2nd Peter and uh, it's appropriate it seems to me that that this providentially falls on the day that we celebrate the Lord's Supper because it's a a text that calls us to recognize our need just as the Lord's Supper does. Our need not for what mere men can provide, nor what this world can offer, but the need for what God alone, through Christ, can give us. So we're going to look at uh, the middle of verse 15 through the end of the, the letter, but we'll start at verse 14 so that we can see the context. Peter writes, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these... You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. indeed. Beloved of God the Father through Jesus the Son, we live in an age of propaganda and lies. Everyone, it seems, has an angle, a sales pitch, an ulterior motive. It can be very difficult to discern what we should believe and whom we should trust. But that is not new. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Peter was seeking to guide the people of God in a world that was, in many ways, radically different than our own. The knowledge of the world was much smaller than ours, was relatively basic. Their communication was limited, giving them a small view of what was happening in the world, and their technology was positively primitive compared to what we now possess, and yet despite all the significant differences between that age and this, people were essentially the same. They still descended from Adam with all that that implies. They still were born with natures that were corrupted by sin. They still adopted worldviews that stood opposed to the true and living God. And men of that age all seemed to have an angle, a sales pitch, an ulterior motive. Peter, too, lived in an age of propaganda and lies. A new age. An infinitely better age is coming. As we saw last time, it won't be long before Christ returns to judge all those who stand opposed to God, to cleanse this world of every stain of sin and evil, and to perfect everything so that we and everything in the creation glorify God perfectly, continuously. But we're not there yet. We remain today surrounded by sinful people and rebellious lies, many of which sound good, many of which seem convincing. So the question comes to us, how do we discern the difference between the good and the bad, between the righteous and the evil? How do we recognize the narrow way of life as opposed to the way that is wise or that is wide and that leads to hell? It's daunting. It's daunting, and Satan wants us to be intimidated by the task. He wants us to throw up our hands in despair, convinced we'll never truly be able to discern a right, and and then we'll just go the easy way. We'll do the thing that feels best in the moment. We must not let Satan have his way. Instead... Following the instruction that Peter gives us in these final verses, we need to stand firm on the only foundation that is sure. The theme that we find here God commands his saints to stand firm on the only sure foundation. That's what we need in this age of waiting, in this age of lies, in this age when it's hard to discern. And he starts by showing us the negative aspect of that task, the calling to guard against the twisted deception of unstable men. We just read the context. Peter has urged God's people to look forward properly to the day of the Lord. Don't doubt God just because Christ has delayed, don't give in to the fear and worry of this age. Instead, Peter says, count the day or the delay of the day of the Lord as salvation because God is delaying the day of the Lord, delaying the, the judging and the renewal of all things until all of the elect are gathered, until all of God's people are prepared. Because that counsel is unexpected, Peter points to the Apostle Paul for confirmation. Paul wrote much the same thing to God's people in his letters. For example, in Romans 2, verse 4, Paul says that God's patience is meant to lead you to repentance. In Romans 9, he says that God endures people who are destined for wrath in order to excite in the elect a desire for salvation. In 1 Timothy 1, he even points to himself and points out how God patiently endured his own sin so that in him God might show the greatness of his grace. So Paul wrote in a number of different places statements that clearly agree with what Peter's written here. And Peter emphasizes that Paul wrote that with wisdom that was not his own. God gave him that wisdom. God provided that insight both to Paul and to Peter. However, what Paul wrote was not the easiest thing to understand. And that constitutes a danger. Peter acknowledges here what generations of Christians have recognized. Some of what Paul wrote is really hard. I will attest to that, having preached through a number of Paul's letters. He was a scholar. And he wrote like a scholar with a a difficult and advanced vocabulary. Constructing grammatically complex arguments, demonstrating logic that sometimes challenges the reader's intellect. And beyond that, he's writing about the triune God. The God whose nature is difficult, impossible for us to fully comprehend. He's writing about the work of God and the plan and the purpose of God. And that's tremendously hard for us to grasp in the best of circumstances. And that difficulty of Paul's writings, and let's be honest, sometimes of Peter's, that provides an opportunity for evil because folks like what is easy. And so if they're reading this and they're finding God's word hard to comprehend and someone presents them something that's really simple, something that's really easy instead, well, they're going to be tempted to take that easy way. Plus, when things are complex... For instance, the first chapter of Ephesians, where you've got all these subordinate clauses, all of these things that mix together. When things are difficult like that, it's a lot easier for Satan and those who serve him to twist the word to mean something it doesn't. So Peter warns us in verse 16, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. They twist those hard parts of scripture, trying to convince people that they say what they don't say and that they don't say what they do, imparting a meaning to the text that is foreign to what God intended. That's what wicked folks do with all of scripture. And that tells us that this problem is not limited to the writings of Paul. It's something we find when people handle all of God's Word. Folks, always seek to twist the Word of God. That should not be a surprise to us. After all, Satan hates the truth about God because he understands it is the truth that sets men free. And Satan wants men not freed but bound to their slavery to sin. So we should expect that Satan will will twist and corrupt that which can free us. And that's precisely what happens. Ignorant men. That is, men who do not submit to God by a living faith and therefore cannot have a true understanding of truth. Men who are unstable because they don't stand on the solid rock of the scriptures, the solid and unchanging truth of God's word, but they stand on the ever-shifting sand of men's opinions and ideas. These men twist the truth of God's word, seeking to lead men astray, for which they will be judged. And therefore we must, says Peter, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. We must take care because we know ahead of time what's happening. We know that Wicked people will twist the word of God. We know that servants of Satan replace the truth with a lie. We know that they are trying to make us as hopeless as they are. So take care lest you be carried away. See, that's what they're trying to do. They want to carry you away from the truth that would lead you to serve God and from the hope that would give you peace with God and from the love that would lead you to honor God. They want you to be carried away into lies that will fill you with Hopelessness, helplessness, and death. Folks, this stuff surrounds us. This closing text from Second Peter was made for this place and time. Every institution of higher learning sponsored by the state and half of those that call themselves Christians are bastions for exactly that kind of truth-twisting. Scripture, they decry as an outdated, bigoted, and backward text text of superstitions. And truth, they declare truth, is is something that is variable and individual. Whatever you determine is true for you, whatever you determine feels right to you, well, that's your truth. And that might be different from my truth, but that's okay because we each have our own truth, they say. Even gender, laughably... Even gender, they say, is fluid. It depends on how you feel, what you think, what is true for you. And if you insist that morality is inflexible and universal, well, you're positively abusive. To declare abortion morally wrong is an act of oppression. To declare that homosexuality is an objective sin, that's decried as an intolerance. And sex outside of marriage? Casual hookups? (laughs) Who would... Who would challenge that? Have you wondered why in our age there's such a focus in our culture on undermining God's word, particularly with regard to sexual sins? Have you noticed that? It's not an accident. I mean, there's other ways they twist Scripture, but those are, those are the main ones right now. That's where Satan has chosen to fight the battle. And do you know why? It's because God has given marriage as a source of stability and security for His people. Marriage is not just the building block of society, it's the building block of the church. A healthy marriage tends to produce healthy children. Godly parents who seek to serve the Lord and put Christ at the center of everything, they tend to raise up children who know the Lord and His Word and who have a constant calling set before them to know and love and serve Christ. And marriage is intended to demonstrate to the world and to children the gospel. When we see a husband who selflessly loves his wife, we see an image of the selfless love of Christ for his church. When we see a woman who joyfully submits to her husband, we see an image of the church joyfully serving Christ. Satan hates that. Of course, he's going to undermine that. Of course, he's going to twist that. And sex, sexuality, that's meant to deepen those marriage bonds. That's meant to typify the unity between Christ and his church. So, of course, Satan is going to seek to twist and corrupt and transform that into something that is base and ugly and selfish and an absolute caricature of what God made it to be. Our sure foundation, the only foundation that doesn't move, is not what we find at the university or on TikTok or among your peers. The only sure foundation we find is right here in the scriptures. The scriptures demonstrate to us the truth of who God is and of what he has done. The scriptures teach us who we are and how desperate is our need. That we're not just a little sick, that we're not just having a a hard time or surrounded by poor influences. No, that we are dead and that we need life. And the only one who can bring us life is Christ himself who did everything necessary to bring us life, to reconcile us to God, to bring us unto eternity. Only God's Word provides the solid rock on which we must stand. And so Satan strives to lead us away from that rock into shifting sand and mud and filth. How do we stand against him? How do we guard against his schemes? Folks, you must know, children, young people, you must cherish this Word. Don't let it gather dust. Spend time in it every single day, because only as you know this will you be able to use this to, to judge. Whether what you hear from your friends, whether what you hear from your teachers is true or not. I emphasize to my catechism teachers, or my catechism students, sometimes um, fruitlessly, to bring their Bibles... Why? Because I don't want them to believe what I say in catechism class, and I don't want them to believe what I say up here, unless it fits with what this says, unless it is confirmed by what we read here. We need to know this word, and we need to pray constantly for discernment. Don't just read the words, study them. Study them in the light of other parts of God's Word, know them deeply, love them, cherish them, so that you can evaluate what is around you. We need to move on, but we need to use God's Word to evaluate everything that claims to be truth. That's the negative side, but there's a positive side. And that's that we need to be growing through the grace and truth of our rock. Growing. You see, we're always moving in this life. We're either moving toward God or away from Him. We're either growing toward maturity or toward immaturity. We're either either growing toward holiness or toward corruption. So not only must we guard against that which is corrupt, that which is ungodly, that which is false, we need to be growing into that which is true, that which is pure, that which is holy, that which is life. At the heart of verse 18 is one command, grow. As I said, change is inevitable. You're going to be moving. Will you move toward God or against Him? He wants us to grow. Specifically, we're to grow by drawing closer to Jesus. Notice how it describes Jesus. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Ninth and tenth graders, we're going to talk about what that means in just a little bit. It means he is the fulfillment of everything God promised. He is the anointed one, the Messiah. He is the prophet. He is the priest. He is the king. He is the fulfillment of everything Israel was looking forward to, everything the fathers were looking forward to. That means he is our Savior. He is the only one who can give us life and forgiveness and reconciliation with God. He is the only one who can bring us into heaven. He doesn't cooperate with us. No, He does all of it. We need to grow in the one who does absolutely everything necessary to bring us to God. And we need to know Him not only as our Savior, but as our Lord. He's our King. He owns us. We are no longer, if we are in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin and Satan and the world. We are slaves of Christ. And what a freeing thing that is. Because he causes us to become and to do exactly what we were meant to be and do. It is a blessing to serve the Lord. So we need to grow in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How do we do that? He gives us two methods, two ways In the grace and the knowledge. Knowledge. That's the other side of what we have to guard against. We have to guard against the lies and the deceptions of Satan and those who stand with him to twist the word of God. So instead, we need to grow in the knowledge, in the true knowledge of Christ. Again, that starts with God's word. Young people, I can't emphasize it enough. If you want to stand firm in this world, you have to master this. And you think, well, that's pretty daunting. Yeah, it is, but you have a a lifetime to do it. So start today. Start today. Make yourself a reading plan, a list. Find accountability with these. uh, One of the good things of our technology, you can use Bible reading programs that are in an app on your phone to hold you accountable with somebody else who's doing the same reading program. Do that. But don't just read the words. Again, study them. Get yourself a study Bible. Find yourself a commentary set so that you can dig deeper and understand that passage in the light of the rest of God's Word. And do more than that. Get involved in a Bible study. Meet with other young men or young women or old men, old women. Meet with others. Meet with your peers. Meet with those who aren't your peers. So that as iron sharpens iron, God's people might sharpen one another in the knowledge of the truth and take church seriously. Don't just show up out of breath, your mind going a hundred different directions, having done nothing to prepare other than maybe comb your hair. No. The night before, Read the text for the following day. That's why it's in the, in the bulletin, by the way. So that you can read it ahead of time and, and meditate it on it a bit. Pray that God would give you wisdom and insight into what is proclaimed. And then come and pay attention. Praying that God would give you the attentiveness, that God would give you the ability to learn and grow from what is proclaimed. And likewise in catechism class, Or Sunday school. Take that teaching of God's word and allow it to draw you closer to the one of whom it speaks. Grow in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but also in the grace. Grace is the gift of God given to those who can't possibly deserve it. But if it's a gift, how do you get it? You can't earn it, you can't work for it, but you can ask for it. Pray to God asking Him to give you a deeper knowledge and love of Him. Pray to God, asking Him to draw you closer in relationship to Him. Pray that He would allow you to feel His presence, that He would allow you to really care. But don't just pray asking. Pray relationally. Grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you would grow in your perception of his nearness, if you would grow in your recognition of his goodness, if you would grow in your love for Christ, talk to him. You don't deepen a friendship with someone by not talking to him. No, you... You share what's happening in your life. You share your observations about the things you see. You you share with Him your frustrations and your joys. And He will feel more real to you. So that even though you can't see Him, you experience His nearness. You care more about Him. You have to spend time with Him. And, And likewise, in worship, grow in grace in worship. That means when you come here, pray first that God would give you a right attitude, a right approach. But when the minister prays, speak those words in your own heart. Make that prayer yours. When the congregation sings, sing, young men, but also make that your confession. Don't just sing the words, mean the words. And when you hear the sermon, hear the word of Christ speaking to you. And when you partake of the Lord's Supper, why did God give us that? Is it just a tradition? Is it just a visual means of remembering? No, it's a means of grace. It's a way that God allows us to see this is what Jesus did for you. He was broken as that bread is broken. His blood was poured out as that wine is poured out. As real as that bread and that wine are, that's how real His sacrifice, how real His love, how real His care. Don't just go through the motions. Embrace it. Ponder it. Study it. If you're not yet partaking, if you're, you've not yet made profession of faith, don't tune out. Pay all the closer attention, all that much closer attention. Recognizing that this is what you need, this nearness, this unity, this intimacy with Christ. Grow, not only in the knowledge, but in the grace of Christ. Also, as you interact with God's people, as you you interact with the saints, show them the love of Christ even as you receive it from them. My friends, we live in an age of propaganda and lies. We inhabit a world where we are surrounded by the deception of the ignorant and unstable. But Christ is greater. His truth never changes, and it's actually true. But beyond that, He is always there with us. Those people that speak those lies, those salesmen of Satan's deceptions, things get hard, they're gone. You think they're your friends? Mm Mm-hmm. Wait until there's a consequence for those sins and see if they're still there, they're gone. But Christ is always there. There in the deepest, darkest valley, He is beside His people. Drawing us through, leading us to quiet waters and green pastures. So guard against that folly, but grow in the grace and truth of your Lord and Savior, the Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you provide exactly what we need at every moment. Grant that we might have the desire to grow in Christ. And Lord, equip us through your spirit to gain exactly what you've called us to gain. That we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In response... Let's sing together a portion of Psalm 73, number 73. We're going to sing uh, 140 is the the, uh, number in the Blue Psalter hymnal, 140. We're going to sing all the stanzas. As we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, I'd like to read with you Form 2 for the celebration of the Supper. You can find that on page 45 in the back of your, or in your um, forms and prayers book if you'd like to follow along. Page 45. Beloved, hear now the words of the Apostle Paul concerning the institution of the Holy Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When our Lord said, Do this in remembrance of me, he ordained this holy supper as a constant memorial and a visible proclamation of his death. The Apostle Paul also teaches us that as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. As we partake, therefore, we bear witness that our Lord Jesus was sent by the Father into the world to take upon himself our flesh and blood and to bear the wrath of God on the cross for us. We confess that he came to earth to bring us to heaven, that he was condemned to die that we might be pardoned that he endured the suffering and death of the cross that we might live through him, and that he was once forsaken by God, that we might forever be accepted by him. The sacrament thus confirms us in God's abiding love and covenant faithfulness, sealing to our hearts the promises of his gracious covenant and assuring us that we belong to his covenant family. Let us then be persuaded as we eat and drink that God will always love us and accept us as his children For the sake of his Son. Our Lord also promises that as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we are fed with his crucified body and shed blood. To do this, he gives us his life giving Spirit, through whom the body and blood of our Lord become the life giving nourishment of our souls. Thus, he unites us with himself, and so imparts the precious benefits of his sacrifice to all who partake in faith. As a means of grace, This meal also unites us with one another in the bond of the Spirit. As the Apostle says, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Thus, even as he unites us with himself, he strengthens the bond of communion between us, his children. And finally, the remembrance of our Lord's death revives in us the hope of his return. Since he commanded us to do this until he comes, the Lord assures us that he will come again to take us to himself. As we commune with Him now under the veil of these earthly elements, we are assured that we shall behold Him face to face and rejoice in the glory of His appearing. Our Lord Jesus will surely do what He has promised. Let us draw near to His table then, believing that He will strengthen us in faith, unite us in love, and establish us more firmly in the hope of His coming to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, let us pray. Almighty God, with one accord we give you thanks for the blessings of your grace, but most of all we thank you for the unspeakable gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We most humbly thank you, that your Son came to us in human form, that he lived a perfect life on earth, that he died for us on the cross, and that he arose victoriously from the dead. We bless you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, for the gospel of reconciliation, for the church universal, for the ministry and sacraments of the church, and for the blessed hope of everlasting life. We pray, gracious Father, that you would grant us your Holy Spirit that through this sacrament our souls may truly be fed with the crucified body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us the full assurance of your grace as we draw near to your holy table, filling our hearts with humble gratitude for your mercies. Unite us more fully with our blessed Lord, and so also with one another. Enable us, in newness of life, to pledge ourselves in service to Christ and all your children, And lift up our hearts to you. That in the troubles and sorrows of this life. We may persevere in the living hope. Of the coming of our savior in glory. Answer us O God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who taught us to pray together. Saying our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved, as we draw near to the table of our Lord, let us, using the words of the Apostles' Creed, confess together our Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Beloved, hear these gracious words of promise spoken by our Lord. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, let us lift up our hearts to the Lord. Let us lift them up to the God of our salvation. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. drink, remember, and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. If you would look in your form, on page 48... bless the lord o my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name bless the lord o my soul and forget not all who forgives all your iniquity who, heals all your Jesus. who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is new let us pray together Almighty God, we give you our most humble and hearty thanks that of your great mercy you have given us of your Son to be our Savior from sin and to be our constant source of faith, hope, and love. We bless you for permitting us to show forth his death and to receive the communion of his body and blood through the Holy Sacrament. We praise you for uniting us more fully with the body of Christ and for assuring us that we are heirs of your heavenly kingdom. Grant that our commemoration of his death may tend to the daily confirming of our faith, the establishment of our hope, and the strengthening of our love. Enable us henceforth to live always for our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Amen. If the deacons would come forward now for our offering. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for all that you have given us, above all for sending Christ your Son as our Savior, but also for the multitude of other provision that you have granted. We pray that you would receive now the worship of our tithes and our offerings as a token of our gratitude and a demonstration of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Our offering song this morning is number 480 from our Trinity Psalter hymnal. Number 480, all the stanzas.